Hello and welcome to another episode of Pakistanomy. My name is Uzair Yunus and today I have the honor of having uh, Rafiq Malik Saab uh, join us from Baikia. He is Chief Operating Officer and a founding member of Baikia, which is, if for those of you who do not know, I'm sure many of you do already know, it is Pakistan's largest network of motorbikes that serves transport, logistics and payments. Um, he's graduated from uh, University of Western Ontario in Canada and has deep experience in the trucking and logistics sector before uh, founding uh, Baikia. And so, Rafiqsa, first of all, thank you so much for taking out the time and joining us on Pakistanomy, and congratulations on an excellent 2020 where Baikia raised perhaps uh, the largest, um, you know, fundraising round in Pakistan. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, please don't call me Rafiq Saab. I'm not that old. Don't make me feel that old. Uh, I will try me. to be informal. This is just default yeah. by now. <laughs> you know, uh, yes, it's, it's, been, it's been a very, well, 2020 has been a challenge year globally for everyone, um, you know, and, 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 and thanks uh, to, to, to everybody out there who supported us and obviously, uh, you know, uh, the divine that sort of helped us out and and, and got us over the hurdle uh, of of raising series b so so yeah whoever supported us out there thank you very much really appreciate it and hopefully we can keep uh, keep keep building and 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 meeting expectations going forward so tell me a bit about bikea and its vision like how did the idea come about and how did you and the founding team go about launching the startup in pakistan Sure. So basically in 2016, um, you know, uh, Muneeb Maya, who's our CEO and founder, uh, basically approached me and him and I didn't really know each other. We had kind of heard of, heard of each other uh, in, in the sort of professional space and said, look, I have this idea and I think you'd be a great guy to sort of do it with. So, you know, are you interested? And I said, what's the idea? And he said, look, why don't we do a motorcycle taxi app? Um, you know, Uber and Kareem are sort of, uh, they had come in into the, into the space and they, I mean, into the, into Pakistan and they had sort of, I guess, had, had started to explain to people how a, how a taxi could be booked uh, or a private car could be booked as a taxi at the click of a button. Um, so I liked the idea a lot. We studied the concept. It had been done in, uh, in Indonesia. It was being done in Indonesia at a much larger scale in Vietnam. There was Gojek, there was Grab. So we went and sort of studied these companies uh, and sort of figured out how, how they were doing it over there. Um, the idea for the motorcycle with Radley was uh, the supply density, really. You know, I mean, when we looked at the market uh, at that time, we realized that uh, in Pakistan, um, there were 4 million cars in the country at the time. Uh, and at this time, I'm talking mid-2016. And there were 16, 17 million motorcycles. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, just the sheer supply base was 4X, right? And so we were a little dumbfounded why the companies who were already in the space had not sort of figured this out. And obviously, there was that element, whether we're seeing something that's not actually there, right? But, uh, you know, but then... The whole uh, the, the whole idea was also not to build, because the sheer su supply size was so big, the idea was not to make it like a full-time job for somebody to become a Paikia driver. The idea essentially was, uh, and we call our drivers partners, the idea was that anybody, who, anybody with a motorcycle uh, should be able to leverage it, a motorcycle and a smartphone should be able to leverage those two assets 
and make a little bit of money on the side. And, and so the whole value proposition from the get-go was not to come and work on Bikea for eight hours a day and service customers, uh, but was, look, you know, when you're on your way to work or when you're on your way back from work, come and work with us. You know, do, do two rides a day, do five rides a day, do 15 mm-hmm. rides a day. It's entirely up to you. The flexibility was built into the model from the get-go. So I think that, that kind of led into uh, us, us getting that initial success uh, in, in Pakistan. But yeah, to answer your question, the, the, real, the real idea was to allow the common man to leverage those two assets uh, to try and make uh, an income or a secondary income. And so when you were starting, obviously the supply is there, lots of bikes, you have to onboard partners and, you know, give them some basic training, but you also have to, you know, I'm thinking about why someone like Kareem or Uber wasn't looking at it because there's also this idea, probably that assumption um, that, you know, people don't want to travel around in bikes and they rather go in a car if they can hail one. Um, So that's an assumption. I, you know, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on, when you were beginning to sort of, let's say, bring on your first thousand partners and get to your first thousand, five thousand customers or rides, um, what was that experience like? Like, what were some of the lessons learned from that initial journey that sort of, you know, tested some of your assumptions or reinforced some of your assumptions as you were trying to scale up? Yeah, so obviously, um, uh, you know, uh, this hadn't been done in Pakistan, right? So people obviously people weren't getting it initially when we were doing our research uh, and we were talked to people uh, in our strata of society. Okay. I mean, look, people would say, yeah, who would sit on the back of a motorcycle? Yep. You know, Matlab, it doesn't make any sense. Yes. I'm sure people will use your service for deliveries, you know, but that's a certain strata of society, right? They, they can afford to pay like a hundred rupees or 150 rupees and hire a guy on a motorbike to go, pick something up and deliver something. You know, it's the same strata of society that orders food online in Pakistan today, right? They don't mind paying the extra 150 convenience, 150 rupees, which is a dollar, by the way, yeah. uh, uh, convenience fee, right? However, there is a much larger demographic beneath that strata of society, which is actually, which is actually 95% of your country, okay? Which does not have the luxury to, to, to pay three, 400 rupees, 500 rupees, to one of these uh, uh, brands to travel in a car, right? It's expensive. If I was to, yeah. if I was to take uh, a car back to work and back every day, it's going to cost me about 700 rupees to a thousand rupees. That's like five, $6, right? And if I add that up, that's about a hundred, $150 a day, uh, sorry, a month I'm paying in, uh, paying in commute. Okay. That's, that's a lot. Because the Pakistani demographic, the majority of people in Pakistan do not make that kind of money. In fact, they make like $100, $150 a month. Yeah, I was going to and say so that that's probably the more than the food the full, budget for that. Episode. Exactly. That's the fully loaded income that they are actually taking home uh, at the end of the month, right? So, so they needed, an, so, the, so there's, a, there's, there's a middle uh, market there, there that, need, that, needed, that needed serving, right? And, what, and how were they being served? There was either the, uh, the buses, which is the public transport uh, um, uh, mechanism today, which is super inefficient and highly dangerous. Okay. Because if you've seen a, if you've seen a, a bus at peak time in Pakistan or in Karachi rather and that, I'll be specific to Karachi on this comment. It's overflowing. It's, it's literally overflowing, mm-hmm. right? There are people sitting on the roof. There are people hanging out. It's not a comfortable way to travel. Yes. It's the cheapest way to travel. Okay. Then you have the rickshaws, right? In between the cars and the, and the buses were the rickshaws. The rickshaw wallas are quite moody, man, because they, 
they're, they're like a bona fide taxi. They're sitting, uh, you know, you walk up to them, you say, Bhai, can you take me to from point A to point B? There's a haggling aspect. You know, he's going to be like, I'll take 200 bucks. You're going to be like, no, I want to pay 100. You know, after two, three minutes of, you know, back and forth, you'll agree on a price or he's just going to, not going to take you and you're going to have to walk to the next rickshaw, right? So it's highly inefficient, right? So I think Bikea filled that need essentially for a lot of, uh, a lot of people. And to be honest, we've only solved this for the single male today because women don't travel on, on motorcycle mm-hmm. or on motorbikes in Pakistan. But when you go into the market in Pakistan, 90% you, you see is, is males. You barely see any women in the, in, 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 outside, right? In, in the markets, in the, in the markets, not shopping wise. Yes. You'll see a lot of affluent women out there buying stuff, but who is selling those stuff to them? It's all men in the, in, in the, in the shops. If you've been to Pakistan, if you've come to Karachi, if you've been to the, the markets in Sadr, you see Sare Dukandar Wale, all the, I'm sorry, I, yeah. I keep going from Odu and English. No, it's your fine. Audience, your, your audience, I'll stick to English for your, for your audience. Uh, most of the shopkeepers, the people who are actually working in those shops or, or own the shops are all men. Right? So, so we solved the problem really for those guys, the people who would commute from one end, to, one end of the city to the other end, eight, nine kilometer drive. Uh, and didn't want to take their own car because traffic is a problem or parking is an issue or, you know, sometimes they get to work on their own conveyance, they park it, and now it's stuck there because if they take it out and they come back after an hour, that space is gone, right? Yeah. Somebody else has taken it. So what they, a lot of people also use us for actually get to, get to base, base camp, and from base camp, if they need to go to a meeting or something, they'll hop on a bike here and take up three, four kilometers short hop and go to a meeting, right? Mm-hmm. So there are, there, there are various use cases to be solved. And I think just having a motorcycle is very dynamic in Pakistan because it just doesn't solve the commute problem or the, the, the moving people problem. It also solves the moving parcels problem or moving goods or just, I forgot my charger at home. I need to call for one. I'll book a bike here. It's going to cost me a hundred rupees. If I ask... Yeah my somebody from my house to send it to me, let's say via or, or, or bring it to me, it's going to cost more, right? It's going to cost their time. It's going to cost fuel. It's going to cost my car's maintenance. So I just book a bike. Yeah. Cost me like a hundred, 120 bucks, which is less than a dollar, by the way. Now it's like 70, 80 cents. Mm. And within an hour or within 40 minutes, it's delivered to me. Right? So there's that concierge aspect of, of the business as well, where go fetch me something. There's the delivery uh, uh, vertical as well, where, you know, here I've got three deliveries, four deliveries, um, uh, you know, please go ahead and deliver these for me. Okay. And, uh, you know, a lot of the work that happens, a lot of the delivery work that happens in Pakistan is, is a cash on delivery business, which means that a shopkeeper will ship a parcel to a customer. Okay. And then the guy will collect cash okay. at the customer's doorstep. You know, so we solve that with, with an in-app wallet and that in-app wallet basically allowed the, the, the shipper to realize his money digitally in real time, right? So our driver would pick up a, so just to give you an example, I come to you, I'm the driver, I pick up goods from you, I go deliver them to your customer, I collect cash from your customer on your behalf, okay? But that cash gets digitally deposited into your Bikea account immediately. Hmm. Now, what that means is that if you want to withdraw that money, if you want to withdraw that money, uh, you can uh, you can withdraw it basically from uh, from the Bikea wallet 
which is maybe linked to your bank account and 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 that's a, that's really a real time transaction today like for all intents and purposes it's a real time transaction or near time transaction there's about a 2 3 hour delay because there are some fraud checks that our system runs in the back and just to ensure that nobody is trying to game the system right so so what that does is that it allows vendors to <coughs> excuse me it allows vendors to actually realize their sale on the same day versus Uh, 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 conventional logistics, uh, which is actually holding some of this money, right, for a three, four, five, seven-day period. So, if you were to give it to one of the courier or express players in Pakistan, they would they would pick up a parcel today, they would deliver it tomorrow, they would they would realize the cash, and then they would give you a once-a-week deposit into your bank account. So, we also solved that need, right? So, so that that part of the business also really took off. because because smaller vendors who who were in need of working capital immediately started switching to bike here so so no, a few, I, I, few I, I, things to answer your question there no that's fantastic and that's great because i have a couple of follow ups i think the working capital solution is essential right particularly when the borrowing rates whether in the informal or the formal market is high and you, you sort of are bridging that gap and and solving for that need um i i want to touch on something you said that you know essentially you're currently solving for mobility for the average male person in a city or in in pakistan um is there a plan to you know expand that and how do you intend to solve the similar problem for females because i was thinking about your example like sadar that's not the shopper who goes there the female shopper is not an affluent she's either a middle class woman who's coming in either in a rickshaw or having her husband or brother or son drop her off and then pick her up etc or they just hang out there um they need transportation too and they need safe transportation and you need mobility of women in any economy for it to grow and and thrive so is there a plan in bikey on how to solve for that using the motorbike or you're still thinking about yeah it? absolutely so you're absolutely right but i'll make one correction that women generally travel in packs in pakistan right if if my mom wants to go shopping she's probably going to take her sister or my True. my sister or our neighbor or some friend okay and they're going to make a day out of it they're going to book a rickshaw for example okay they're going to three of them are going to get into one and they're going to go to one market and they're going to stroll around and pick up things and then they might go to another market they might have tea and they might come back because they're generally housewives right they the yeah. previous generation at least has probably has been that way things are things are obviously moving towards uh, a change and more and more women are now part and parcel of the workforce which is a super super positive for this country okay and now we do have to think of their mobility issues right now we have to think about how to solve for their mobility issues so one of the initiatives we actually took uh, very recently is is this this local uh, organization uh, it's it's a, a non-profit called women on wheels and women on wheels has this, has taken this initiative where they actually get women to come out and learn how to ride a motorcycle okay and then once they've taught them they get them to the license bureau and get them licensed uh, uh fully licensed right so we have done a small partnership with them where we have suggested that you know if you can bring in 15 20 30 females in a month to us uh you know uh what we can do if they don't have a motorcycle already what we can do is we can lease a motorcycle for them from our own platform and our own uh, pockets okay and we will give them jobs on bikeia to pay the lease off 
And once they pay the lease off, that's their asset eventually. They can own the asset. They can go away. Uh, if they want to leave the platform and go do something else, that's, that's entirely up to them. You know, but we would just like them to sort of be around for the four, five, six months because you have to realize a motorcycle is not an expensive asset in Pakistan. Okay, so it's only about $300, $350, right? So, so, so you could essentially, like a, a, a good rider on bike here today makes about $7, $8 a day, right? $10 a day, even if he really hustles. So, you know, let's say females come on, come on board, they do $5, 6 $7 a day. Right. And if, even if they save some of that money, right, they could pay that asset off literally in six, seven, eight months. They could they could pay that off. Right. They could try and they could try and own that asset. Right. So we are trying to build female supply. OK. To encourage them to first come onto our platform. In the initial stage, we would not give them uh, 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 taxi jobs. OK. The idea is to give them delivery jobs so they don't have to inter- because look, most of our taxi uh, uh, market or demand is is male. Is male. Going to be like, male. I mean, 90, yeah, yeah. It's ninety nine percent male, like males who who use it, right? In fact, probably more than ninety nine percent. I would say ninety nine point five percent is male, right? There are some female users who use it, um, but but very few and far between, right? So so ideally, you solve it. At least this is how we've thought of it, and I don't know if this is the right way or, or time will tell. But we'll solve it by hopefully bringing them on the platform, by getting them comfortable with the app and to be able to ride a motorcycle during various hours of the day, pick up parcels from people, do the concierge service orders uh, where somebody would like go fetch me a Coke and a packet of chips, you know, and, and get them to do that so they, they get comfortable. Once they get comfortable and they start making, they start seeing the five, six, ten dollars a day income, right? Then they get a little bit more either they get hungry and they get more aggressive and they're like, okay, you know what, now we're, we're ready to take on the taxi jobs. And that's when we plug in, plug them into the taxi requests, but only from female uh, users, yeah. you know? So that, this is something, so we've, we've solved the first leg of it. So we've only solved the, the delivery and the concierge leg of it today. Uh, we have not solved the taxi leg of it. Inshallah, we will, uh, you know, hopefully this year. However, I do have to make one call out. Okay, I've been I've been really making I've been really making an effort to try to try to get women to come and join the platform as 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 facilitators as partners, and it's super tough to do that. I mean, they say yes, they don't show up, they're not serious about it, right? And and they're not serious about it. Why? Because our culture is such. Because yeah. historically, it's the father and the brother that that are generally breadwinners. The sisters go get married, and then they're taken care of or taken they take care of the house, right? So, so the wiring is still that, is still that, right? So it's been, it's been a little bit challenging. Out of 300 women that I hope will come into our platform, 30 have come in, right? Like it's been, the numbers have not been that impressive, but I think this is an uphill battle and we have to keep at it to, to get that cultural uh, change and for people to, uh, you know, look, people also, people in the community and the, the, uh, and the neighborhoods will also have to accept this, right? So I think yeah. that's also a bit of a, it's a taboo issue, right? I think it takes time. So I think companies like us will just have to keep making the effort to try and make this happen and hope that we try and make some change at some, at some level and try and benefit a few, few people along the way. 
No, that's an uphill task because I remember um, talking to Mevish Arfin, who was at Gharpar last year. We had her on the podcast and she was talking about a similar, you know, headwind that she would encounter, even though the job was going in to people's homes and doing makeup and providing beauty services to women. But even there, getting female supply on board was very, very difficult because there would be pressure from the mother-in-law. And if you cross the mother-in-law, then it's the husband. If you cross the husband, then it's the husband's brother or your son or your father. And it was just a whole journey that you had to. And then another interesting thing she said was that, you know, you bring them on and then you realize that they're making good money and they're becoming breadwinners at times, making more money than their husbands or their other male head of household. That's another um, problem. That created, <laughs> that created another problem in and of itself, right? So, yeah. so I, think, I think that will definitely yeah. be there. Mm-hmm. Um, I know you mentioned Uber and Kareem. Um, I wanted to ask you about who you see as your competition and sort of the interesting thing was um, I was reading a quote from Reed Hastings from Netflix the other day, and he made an interesting point where he argued that, yes, of course, the HBO Maxes of the world and the Disney Pluses of the world are their competition, direct competition. But he said the biggest competition that they have and they feel they have is sleep itself, because when a Netflix viewer stops watching Netflix, they turn off their TV or their tablet, Mm. they go to bed. Right. So I was just curious about how do you think about your competition in Pakistan, both in the narrow segment, um, but also broadly speaking as well? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. To be honest, uh, you know, we don't we don't consider either of these right hitting companies as our, as our direct com- uh, competition. I think we are playing to a strata of society, which is very different. Uh, we were the pioneers in the bike taxi business. These guys followed suit. Um, there were times in the middle where they had, I mean, they were big, they're big companies, right? Uber was the most well-funded startup in the world. Kareem was the most well-funded startup in the region. Um, so, you know, there were times in the, in the middle there where we had zero funding. It had dried up. Uh, they were trying to kill us. When we didn't die, they were trying to buy us. When we didn't sell, finally we raised money. And we started fighting again, right? So, so I think I think we we learned a lot from that from that in those in those two years in the middle where we actually had no real money in the business, and our existing investors were sort of, uh, yeah, just basically funding the business, right? It, it sort of made us uh, realize a lot of a lot of tricks of the trade in, in terms of how to how to survive. Uh, but in terms of competition, I think we really need to figure out. Look, our app is in Urdu, right? It's not, our first initial app was in Urdu, uh, you know, and it was the first of its kind, right? And a lot of people that we met, they said, why is it in Urdu? It's not cool, right? And we said, it's not for you. If, if you don't, it's, it's for the masses, right? The masses actually are a lot more comfortable. It's, it's not about making language. the app cool. It's about right? making it so, usable for your customer. It's about utility. Yeah, it's about utility, right? So, so essentially, you know, I think that's, that's that's what we are fighting against. We are tr- we are fighting against the Pakistani consumer utilizing technology for improving their lives and not for entertainment or just sort of you know just just like brainless watching Facebook or browsing Facebook or using YouTube and watching like uh, you know Bollywood dance numbers. You know we want people to actually use technology for 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 utility, right? And I think that's that's really our number one competitor. To be honest, we try to we try to change the mindset 
so that anybody with a smartphone can 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 figure out how to use it and improve uh, 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 either their livelihood or or convenience uh, for that matter right so essentially that's i would say that's that's really the the battle that we are fighting you know the other guys are are not really that detrimental uh, to our business no that's interesting because it's 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 very similar to something you know my colleagues and i were talking about the fact that you know zoom has started now in a weird way competing with public transport and with uh, ride hailing companies here in the united states because zoom allows you to work from home without stepping outdoors so all of a sudden yeah. the bus or the metro or the uber ride you would have taken to go to the office is not there of course there's also a pandemic raging so that changes the calculation as well so i think you know from your perspective it's it's also that desire to go out and do things and be productive and engage with people or or stuff like that it it's it's running into that as a competition which is super interesting from a big picture how do you you know change the stickiness of a technology app that keeps you at home and you know makes you sit down in one place uh, look I, I'll, I'll give you an example i'll give you an example right i mean look i've got uh, you know we've got a you know i mean the 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 guard downstairs right the, the gatekeeper at our, at our office for example right he's he, he has a smartphone right uh, and we are, i mean i asked him i said i i saw i see him i walk into work i see him on on watching youtube right and on the on the way out i see him he's probably just doing the same thing right he's just watching youtube all day right yeah. and i'm like i'm like is, is this what do you how what do you know about this phone it's like a samsung you know like a $50 Samsung phone or something right i don't know and he's like he he didn't know any like he didn't know how to how to what what else that phone could do for him right he just he just knew the entertainment value of it you know the the either he was chatting on whatsapp with his with his friends and he couldn't he can't even type right so he was using the voice, voice note feature back and forth right and he was talking to somebody in his village or something along those lines or he was just using it for entertainment right and then i asked him i said you know how do you go home when you go home you know and the guy walks like 15 minutes waits for a bus gets on to a different bus changes and, and yes look i understand the the bikeia price point is probably not appealing to him right because he's used to spending 30 cents whereas we are charging 70 cents so it's it's more than double so i get that yeah. right but the but the fact of the matter is that we've given promos to customers to try our service out right and he he was not able to figure out how to how to make that work how to download the app how to apply the promo all of that right and i was like but you can figure out how to find madhuri dikshit on youtube right like you want to see that stuff you you you've got you know how to get there right why can't you just use a little bit of your head and try and figure this out because it's going to make your life easier if not easy so i think i think the wiring as i said has to change because people are generally not that tech savvy and i think it's it's incumbent on us to sort of to to do that to get that to get people to to adopt and to change yeah. right and i think we have to play that 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 role of of educating people yeah you know so i think really that's because it's it's easy for a savvy customer to figure things out right you and i can probably download an app and figure out how good or bad it is but i think the general population it takes a little bit of a hand holding process i think in pakistan especially yeah. yeah and i think you have to reduce friction and i was going to say perhaps your marketing team should 
you know, run Baikia Urdu ads on YouTube targeting Madhuri Dixit viewers in in urban centers, and maybe that might be the way a 30-second app on how to download and use Baikia. I, I read something very interesting uh, recently where, uh, and I don't know if it was true or not, I didn't actually fact check it. It was a, some, somebody had put something up about KitKat and coffee. And they said they made, basically KitKat was going bankrupt and they on, or whatever the brand, I think it's a Nestle brand, I don't, I'm not even sure. But I think they were, they, were some, they were doing financially well and they made the association of chocolate and coffee. And they just basically put KitKat in there and somehow survived. So they associated their brand with, with another uh, another good or a complimentary good that made it work, right? So, so you might be right about that. But you know, one thing we've done, we've done, we've done something very differently on the marketing side is that in the first initial years of the business, we actually gave a lot of money to the online bigwigs like Facebook and Google to, to market the Bikea app and the value proposition, right? But as of late, in, in, in the last year of the business, we actually decided to go offline. We took a lot of our marketing efforts and, and took them offline and took them to ready to neighborhoods by opening mm-hmm. small little shops and calling them a bike franchise center where drivers could come in or potential drivers could come in and register and get a little bit of information about us. And, and, and the idea was to actually go and find somebody in a small neighborhood and make him your bike brand ambassador and representative. Did that in 2019 and it worked really well. And now we're trying to replicate it on the demand side of the business in 2020 and hoping, hoping it pays dividends. That, that's fascinating. And I think that that's the way to go. I want to touch upon, um, obviously, last year, you, you raised $13 million. The pandemic ravaged the economy all over the world. Um, of course, you know, as people stopped moving, ride hailing also um, struggled. What was it like in 2020 for you and, and, the, and the startup in terms of dealing with the pandemic? And, you know, what were some of the lessons learned coming out of it? So we were, so we were, we were in talks with our, with, with our investors, Naspers, who, who plugged in money in, in Series B, uh, one of the guys who plugged in money in Series B. Uh, we, were, we were already talking to them uh, since, I, th- I believe, December. Uh, and basically what happened was that uh, we, had the best, we had the best months of the business, January, February, March, right? And the pandemic hit in March, right? Schools shut down first. So we lost about 15, 20% of our ridership, uh, schools and colleges. So a lot of college kids use Bikea because it's cheap, right? Uh, so, we, so we lost 15, 20% of our business there. Then the entire country shut down for three months. However, um, you know, I think what we did was we weren't complacent. We, we kind of, we went out, uh, we went out and basically started to highlight how we had 30, 40,000 daily active wage earners on our platform who are essentially going to go hungry if the government doesn't do something about it or allows us to plug our network uh, in places. Because there were talks about delivering ration, because people were going to go hungry, about delivering cash, because this, uh, the central government wanted people to have liquidity. Uh, so, you know, we kept advertising ourselves that way. We, in fact, gave, an, gave a whole, an article in the newspaper saying, we've got a network of 30,000, 40,000 drivers, right, that are active. We, we, they're, they're on the app. We can track them. Uh, you know, we, 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 can, we know where their whereabouts are. Uh, you know, we can get them to wear protective gear if you want, right? But just let us use this network to facilitate some of these movements that you want to make and do a partnership with us such that 
you subsidize some of the cost of this of these deliveries and we'll go and find private funding to to subsidize the other half right mm-hmm. so we tapped into our networks of of trying to find people and various agencies and welfare organizations who would help us with the cost of 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 this initiative right and finally the local government bit and they said oh okay why don't we give it to bikia why don't we give ration delivery to bikia you know they seem to be shouting this out and they seem mm-hmm. to have some handle on this and then the sindh government bit and then after that you know in in lahore and in islamabad this said okay these guys are doing it here and then we started utilizing our network and start and the network started coming back to life you know and we didn't utilize all 40000 drivers we barely even utilized i think 6 7000 drivers in that in that entire in that entire thing but we won a lot of love from people mm-hmm. right we got we made a lot of friends in uh, uh, you know because now people knew who we were they said oh these guys can help out when there's an emergency situation bikia was there you know so we we had we had the we had the air of 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 the big wigs and and people who were who who actually matter right and slowly slowly as things started to become better in pakistan you know thankfully uh, weathered the storm really really well uh, uh the first time around we were able to open our network again and obviously we opened it up with a lot of uh you know a lot of emphasis on on, on the safety gear on on uh, hand sanitizers and what not you know we i mean we we spent we spent a lot of money on making sure that our drivers were safe okay we very quickly uh, did a did a, a feature in our app on on uh, on on driver temperature right hmm. so we would basically have guys come in to a particular s- small area have one supervisor go just check temperature quickly plug it in so if they were if they had a high temperature they wouldn't be able to log into the app hmm. so we made some really quick and basic changes to our to our tech and and a lot of self sort of uh, uh claiming that we we'd be able to help out i think that that got us that got people to sort of believe in us and it got us a lot of uh, marketing free marketing mileage by the way as well i think yeah. i think those were some cards that we played right <clears throat> and then you know once the network reopened uh you know it didn't take very long for us to bounce back you know i mean literally within 30 days of being open we were back at the same numbers that we were in february and march and our investors were really happy about that a potential at that time they were still thinking about whether they're going to come in or not uh and they had just told us they said look man if you know the network bounces back we're we're ready to invest and one of the things i think they found good about bikia or they or they liked about bikia rather was that we had built a business very frugally uh you know because we never really had a lot of money right we 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 always figured out how to do things without money you know as i was saying before that when when the when when the other companies had blocked not blocked but they had you know they they were more well funded so so new investors were were, were not very comfortable coming into bikia before mm. our series a right um we survived we learned these gorilla tactics on how to survive and that that gave us a new perspective on the business that allowed allowed us to see a different side a different way of doing this right we we figured out that supply doesn't have to be full time it's got to be it can be part time and it can still work we don't have to pay these guarantees and bonuses to people to be on our platform you know you just have to provide a, a value to them right and and essentially i think all of that was was what our investors were looking for and i think timing was right we played the the pandemic well and after that i think 
so all the chips sort of fell in place and you know and as i say the rest is history yeah no that's fantastic and i you know particularly using your footprint and ecosystem to provide support and help and rations in need i think that's i mean look fantastic. that's that's our asset right that's our asset yeah. the, the the asset that we built is is the network of drivers today in karachi if you press a button within 3 minutes there's a guy out there waiting to serve you essentially right yeah. and now whether you want to go from from here to there or you want to send something or you want to call for something so just that that particular network is very valuable i think to yeah. us at least that's what we built no and it's an asset for the country as you scale up because there's lots that you know the country can do with with that as well um i want to touch upon something you mentioned that running a frugal business right and that's sort of my philosophical question that i wanted to get your take on is that you know when you look at a lift or an uber or just big ride hailing companies one of the critiques essentially is that this is basically vc subsidized ride hailing which you know the prices are low because you are pumping money into a market to gain market share and the moment that subsidy goes away the prices will rise and there's really nothing more different in terms of the financial sustainability of of this operation um what's your take on 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 that of course you you know you you've talked about this in the sense that the big the big wigs trying to come in and and shut you down and outcompete you by basically doing exactly this outspending um, us. <laughs> outspending you so w- what are your views on sustainability of this model whether it's by kia or ride hailing in general yeah so 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 here's the thing right by by design by kia is in, is o- is only a mot- is only a network of motorcycles right and and again i'll come back to the unit economics of of this right look a car in any country okay is going to cost you north of 10000 right same in pakistan okay in fact it's probably more expensive in pakistan to buy a car okay so but in san francisco okay on that car i can charge a 13 15 20 fare right so the economics yeah. are in sync right because if i'm going to do 10 rides a day i'll make 200 bucks you know i'll make $5000 in revenue in a month or 4000 or something and obviously i'm going to take out my expenses and what not but i can still amortize that asset with $1000 a month over the next 10 15 20 months right and i can amortize that asset over 2 years right in pakistan the economics are out of whack a car is going to cost you $10000 okay but you can't charge $20 revenue or fare you can charge 4 right because we don't have the propensity to pay $20 okay nobody's going to use that service right in fact we don't even have the propensity to pay $4 per ride which even then it's discounted there for us so so the unit economics are out of whack so now the if a guy is going to buy a car in pakistan it's going to take him like 6 8 years 10 years to pay that asset off right what by kia because a motorcycle is only $300 right or $350 a brand new motorcycle in pakistan is $300 right and you can earn 10 bucks on bike here a day we've essentially taken the cost of the asset out of that model entirely right it's a 300 asset i mean it's it's not it's not a lot of money right and you can make that money literally on bike here in 4 months or 3 months right so the so the the pricing actually is is correct for the country's propensity to dish out money for a service right so the unit economics are favorable bike here is actually not a cash flow negative business bike is a cash flow negative business when you take into account our marketing money that we are spending to expand this business okay and grow the business it's the customer acquisition that's that's costly we don't burn money 
at a, at, a, at a gross profit level as such, right? You know, we actually collect 15% of what our drivers make today. So if a driver was to make a thousand rupees today on Baikia, he would pay 150 first to Baikia and then buy himself the opportunity of earning a thousand rupees off of Baikia. That's how, mm. the, that's how the business is structured. It's a prepay model, number one. Not it's, not a, it's not a buy and pay later model, right? Which is usually the case with a lot of these other companies in the region, you know, yeah. because it's all cash. It's not, it's not digital currency, right? So, so essentially, number one, our model is pay, pay by Kia first, pay the commission, like do a top up in the Baikia wallet and then utilize it. Right. And, and that utilization is essentially us getting paid our commission. Number one, number two, the unit economics are favorable on that asset, right? It's, as I said, it's a $300 asset. It doesn't cost a lot of money. And that's why there's, there's five X or six X, the number of motorcycles in this country as there are cars. Right. So at a unit economic level, our, 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 our economics are actually very, very good. Right. What we need to do is we need to grow this business to a point where we're doing like 5 million daily net transactions a day, right? Uh, to, to actually, to make it like a billion dollar business, basically. Yeah. Like th- essentially that's, that's how we're looking at it, right? So, so we are using all this VC money to grow, to fuel growth, but not unsustainable growth because it's not that we are offering discounts to customers. We are only offering discounts to customers on the first booking that he's going to, that he, because we want him to try it at a discount. Mm-hmm. We want him to feel it. You know, if he likes the feel of it, he's going to come back for it. Yeah. I'm not going to discount the next five, six, seven transactions. I'm going to discount maybe the first one, two, three transactions to try and get him to get used to it. So that's yeah. the strategy, right? So the discounts are very limited. Okay. And uh, essentially the money is now being used to build the brand and really acquiring quality and sticky customers. Got it. That's very helpful. And so that sort of goes into my next question, which is, you know, obviously, as you expand Pakistan from a from a societal or public policy priority perspective is also trying to do certain things, right? You mentioned transactions on cash. Ras just got launched that apparent, uh, you know, hopefully in the next few months and years will catalyze digital payments and digitization of payments. The government is talking up electronic vehicles and electric bikes are sort of the new thing in places like China, even in places like Bangladesh increasingly and in India. So from a from an innovation perspective in terms of where the country is trying to go, at least from led by policy, um, what role do you see by Kia playing in some some of these emerging technologies? Are you thinking about, I'm, I'm just thinking out loud here in terms of even the switch from uh, ICE motorcycles to electric vehicles, the unit economics will significantly fall further as that becomes more and more mainstream. So what are your thinking uh, in terms of operations and in terms of new tech that's coming into the country? Look, I think uh, I'm a firm believer in pricing your product correctly, right? I think the reason why our product works or our service works is, look, it's, 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 it's decently priced, right? You know, I've, I've seen over the last four years, I mean, I've been approached by four or five different EV manufacturers or people who have imported uh, electrical bikes and, and whatnot. Number one, the infrastructure is, is not there in this country. Electricity is more expensive than we use petrol in this country, like oil to make electricity, right? So that essentially raw material, petrol is cheaper than 
than a unit of a kilowatt of, of of electricity in this country number one right so so that entire that entire ecosystem has to change right or the government has to f- provide favorable pricing on, on that or solar to, to charging to points or whatever, yeah. to charge to charging points right number one number two the cost of the asset is is 3x right so as you rightfully pointed out that our unit economics totally go out of the window right if i'm buying 150000 rupee a $1000 motorcycle versus a $300 motorcycle okay now all of a sudden my payback on that asset is a year and a half right and i don't know if i'm going to be a motorcycle bike here driver for a year and a half mm-hmm. you know maybe i will be maybe i won't right it's it's a it's too long a horizon for me all of a sudden so now so that now that entire decision making for me for as a as a driver who wants to either buy a electric vehicle or a, or a or a regular uh, a conventional vehicle changes right and i may not and i'm not going to adopt the electrical vehicle because the hurdle the hurdle rate is too high it's 3x the price right i'm i'm a common man i make like 15000 30000 rupees a month you know i'm not going to go and buy an asset that's 5 6x my monthly salary you know i'm barely hand to mouth over here you know but i will go and buy i i will go put a down payment 10000 rupee down payment or a 20000 rupee down payment on the motorcycle and and hopefully pay it off in 3 4 months right number 2 number 3 what is the uh, uh, support system what happens when that bike goes bust right because today when a when a regular bike goes bust i just take it to to a run of the mill mechanic down the road and he's going to charge me Three dollars or two dollars, then fix it for me, and it'll be as good as new, right? Yeah. So where is the where is the EV ecosystem in in all of that? Are they that advanced? Are they that mature? Do they have as many outlets? Do they have um, economical solutions, right? Because Pakistan in the motorcycle in the in the conventional motorcycle category has really developed its its local infrastructure and in, in building parts, uh, cheap parts, and the availability of those cheap parts, right? if my ev bike is going to be in the garage for for a week how am i going to get to work right yeah. like i'm going to have to spend money in another means of transport right so so look all of these questions have to be answered right and 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 i've been approached by a lot we have not not me personally but we as a company have been approached uh, by a lot of these manufacturers and 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 people over the years you know i just keep telling all of them uh, you got the pricing all wrong right i mean if you're trying to bring something into this country either you're going to bring something in for 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 the elite who don't have there is there is no hurdle that right? they're willing mm-hmm. to buy like a 100000 dollar car even you know if they want to buy it right but for the common man who's on a motorcycle yeah every rupee every dollar counts right yeah. so you have to sell him a product or then do a do facilitate financing such that it's not going to end up costing him you know 200,000 or $300,000 after he's financed a bike through a bank uh, and amortized it over a year right yeah. F- yeah. facilitated such that the interest rates are so low that he actually is incentivized to buy it so so the incentives are wrong today in my opinion right i don't think they oh, got I, that right i think that that makes sense and even i think even if you add up the financing part of it in solve for that i think the most important part is the ecosystem charging points and 
how are you going to get it repaired? And I think both those things have to be taken on um, by the horns to, to move this forward. Otherwise, the policy will be there. But I, I agree with you that it's not just going to yeah. get adopted at the pace that's what people anticipate. Um, before I let you go, um, you know, you had this journey. You worked in logistics, studied in Canada. And now here, you're here in Pakistan at Baikia. Um, I get a lot of messages from younger folks who want to learn from folks like yourself based on your experience, lessons learned, or who want to work at an exciting startup like Baikia. So on both those things, like what are some things that, you know, you've learned over the years yourself or um, that you've seen in your team members who excel at a place like Baikia that you say, you know what, like if you want to be at a startup or maybe be an entrepreneur yourself, here are two or three things that you should really look to learn and do right um, from the get-go. Uh, yeah, I, the, 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 your viewers aren't going to like the answer that I'm going to give, but I'll give them the answer. The, I'll give them the advice that I got when I, so I, I moved from Pakistan uh, after my sc- high school and I went for college to Canada. Uh, I lived there for, after after graduate, after my uh, BA, I basically lived there for another eight years and I worked in the logistics industry. And in the process, I basically sort of whatever, became a Canadian or a naturalized Canadian, right? But the idea was to always come back to Pakistan and start a business, right? And when I came back to Pakistan, and and in in this process, my parents had moved to Canada and done their Canadian immigration and and had also moved back, right? So when I moved back to Pakistan, um, the first thing my, well, what my dad told me, he said, look, you've, I, I can appreciate that you've worked in Canada for eight years and you've climbed, you know, the, the corporate ladder a little bit over there, but I would suggest that you don't put in any money or go start a business from the get-go, I would suggest you go get yourself a job because you have no idea how things are done in Pakistan. It's a different set of people. It's a different set of rules. Best advice ever in life. I went and got myself a job at TNT Express, which was the fourth biggest courier aggregator at the, at the time. I managed operations for them in Pakistan. They, was, they were truly struggling. Um, you know, We managed to turn it around a little bit. Uh, I learned a lot. I learned a lot. And then the company got acquired by FedEx globally. So they sold the operations and basically we we got out, right? Honestly, I learned a lot because that, number one, it made, made, made my network in Pakistan. I was coming back to the country after a long time. I didn't know a lot of people, but being in that position for three years, uh, it, it, it made, it put me on people's radars, right? So they're like, okay, who's this guy who's coming and he's trying to make changes in this logistics industry and this and that, right? So they were curious, number one. Number two, it, it gave me a lot of on-ground, on you know, hands-on experience, right? And, and, and I think that really helps, helps you go a long way. And it, and it builds some credibility in, in the local market as well, mm-hmm. right? So all of these three, three things have to happen for you to go out and try and raise money from investors. If you don't have any of these, investors are not going to bet on you. If you're a college kid coming out of university and say, you know what, I... The, the startup industry looks really glamorous. I'm going to go out and create the next Facebook. If you're, an, if you're an inventor, by all means, go out and do it. But if you're going to copy something, and that's what we did. We, we're, we're a copycat business, really, right? We went and copied something and we said, look, man, people need to know who we are if they're going to bet on us. So we have mm-hmm. to have a little bit of a track record, right? So, so I, think, I think my advice, and I give this to a lot of Pakistani young guys who you know, guys and girls who, who, who come and talk to me about this. I said, look, you're in university right now. You're in engineering school or you're in business school. Get out, go work for a Unilever. Go work for a record. Go work for like 
you know, one of these brands, Nestle, go work for them, go work for a bank, work for the first four or five years of your, of your, of your career, learn how work is done, you know, work on somebody else's drive. They teach you how to work, right? I don't, mm-hmm. I didn't know how to work when I was in college. I had no idea, right? When I, when I got into the working world, that's when I learned, I learned discipline. I learned consistency. I learned all of these things, right? Yeah. And that's what makes you, that's what, that's what makes you successful. I believe, you know, the consistency and the discipline is about it. You know, showing up every day to work is half the battle won. Yeah, yeah. Right? No, that's, so that's I think, good. I think, I, I, think uh, I had the same experience, like after college, working at Deloitte in technology consulting was phenomenal because you just learned how business strategy that you learned in the classroom yeah. did not work half the time yeah, in, exactly. in front of a client, right? <laughs> and then you realize that, okay, this is different because you have to interact with people. You need soft skills. You need to... Uh, convince people you need to find who the mover and shaker is on this team to buy them you know buy their trust and and things like that all the nuances you're not going to learn unless you actually are working in in some place so i think that's fantastic advice um final question what are two or three books that you know have greatly influenced you um can be on any topic um that you would recommend folks uh, i i i read a lot of i read a lot of fiction so you know uh one of the one of the best books I read actually was was by uh, was in university called A Hundred Years of Solitude by Gabriel Garcia Marquez uh, and uh, another really good book I remember uh, Asset of Money which is more non-fictional uh, you know so so I, w- I would put those two I, I don't really have favorite books as such because I generally try and read a lot of a lot of stuff like a lot of garbage stuff as well but a lot of good stuff mm-hmm. also in the process. But yeah, I mean, if I was to remember two two memorable ones, those would be those would be uh, those would be uh, those would top the list. Yeah, yeah. Are you are you a fan of um, fantasy fiction like Game of Thrones type stuff or no? And I'm not. You know, I'm 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 in the in the the, the crime the the Brit crime uh, sort of genre. So the Robert Gabriel books, uh, okay, yeah. Lethal White, and all of these. Those are those are my passion reading yeah. basically. Got it. I'm in that. Sort of the you know the, the Sherlock Holmes category guy. Yeah, you're in the Sherlock Holmes camp. Um, <laughs> yeah, my my favorites mystery. are <laughs> yeah my favorites are like historical or or fantasy fiction and and then spy drama. So John Le Carre was has been my favorite. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Time, that's so. that's that's fun. That's fun. <laughs> yeah. So thank you so much for taking out the time. This was wonderful. Well, thank you for having me. Wish you and the folks at Bikea all the best. It's a great success story, and I hope you guys continue to grow and. And, you know, own the market. So wishing you all the best. Stay safe. Let's hope so. Thank you so much for having me. Real pleasure talking to you. Thank you.